This episode of Ain't That Swell, the original surf degenerate radio show, is brought to you by Billabong. And the new Pressure Creates Diamonds AI range. AI forever. What a fucking legend. Man, oh man. If you got to see this guy surf in real life, it is tattooed on your brain. He was one of the all-time great emotional surfers. Just so natural, so aggressive, so much personality. And that new range is in tribute to his legacy. Far out, man. You can love AI so much. You can get that at billabong.com or from your local surf shop. Support your local surf shop crew. Get out there, get your billabong from the local surf store. And while you're there, check out the Kamea Harder Billabong Gallery range. Introducing Lava, the latest collection with celebrated Honolulu artist Kamea Hadar. In this instalment of premium board shorts, tees and wovens, Hadar draws inspiration from the creation story. Out of darkness and chaos came light, life, and the birth of the Hawaiian island chain as we know it. And after the winter we've just had, there is no better time to tap into a little bit of that Hawaiian aloha and mana. It's all available at billabong.com or your local surf store. Kidding me. First of all, I'd like to say, and I ask you going to find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking jump, want to be tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far off their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did travel some humongous ways. Oh, that looks good, Ivan. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jen and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are bad. <laughs> yes, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Peace Award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin, the maestro of micro-dosing. Hi. And I'm joined here as always by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine, and Waves magazine, Vaughn Rinsed Corn Deadly. G'day, Smithy. Good to be back. The Australian onion is barreling its way down through the coral sea, mate, and we are about to get Fucking flogged. Oh, there's onions spinning all over the joint. There's onions spinning in the Coral Sea. There's onions spinning in the Pacific. There's people crying all over the planet as they get some skitty Aussie fumes right up their schnoz and into their eyeballs. They are just (laughs) pissing out the pupils because the Aussie onion is spinning, (laughs) Dawn. Mate, it is spinning away like a top. And uh, I don't know. Mate, the, the message threads have been going into overdrive of like anxious, neurotic core lords just wondering where they're going to get their cyclone fix. And it's hilarious, Smivy. You, you forget, you, you know, you can live your life and you're cruising along and, and you, you sort of got your daily routine and whatever. And then the second a cyclone forms, 
everything goes out the window and you just turn into this froth lord that like o- o- almost can't function because your decision making is so torched. Yeah, it's almost as though your daily life begins to resemble the weather pattern of the cyclone. You just become this spinning mess of froth and wind and just chaos. Uh, you just can't <laughs> seem to string a sentence together or you know, get anything together in your life. It just all goes out the window. I know after pretty much every cyclone, so I come back to my house and it just looks like a brothel. There's just cloves strewn everywhere, freaking mm. used frangers hanging from the bloody uh, the, the ceiling fan. You know, it just it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Who's been in your house while you've been getting the vish? That's what I want to know. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. The ghost of Smithy's been getting around spliffing and fucking spoofing all over the joint. I don't know, but it's fucking chaos in here. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny, the lead up to a cyclone. And how bad is it, mate, when you, you know, all that froth, all that energy, all that uncertainty, you make a call, you pack the truck or you, you get where you got to go to go and get the absolute peak of it and it's just a full melter, just a fizzer, just leaves you hanging and it's, it's basically like getting stood up on a, on a blind date or something. You, you, d- you don't know what you're in for but then you still feel that uh, rejection when you, when you get to the end of it and there's nothing there. Yeah, that's right. And it is such a, you know, it's, it's, you really can fall into that trap of having high expectations and, uh, you know, getting fixated on getting the one or dozens of the one. And uh, it's always a hiding to nothing, isn't it, Vaughn? Setting the bar too high. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that it always leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Better to go out there and, you know, just be it at one with the community, the, or all your fellow froth lords. At, at the Kira, you know, just shaking hands, hugging each other. And, uh, you, you know, when you behave like that, it's almost a guarantee, Vaughn, that you're not going to get the mm. one. You're not going to get the one. Yeah. But you're going to be happy. No. You're not going to get the one. Be yeah. kind. Be get- kind to your fellow surfer. Be, uh, be aware. Try and get your one. But if you've had your one, maybe uh, offer up the next the one to the next person in line for it. What about right, that for Vaughan. an idea, Smithy? No chance, mate. No chance. No Australian chance. froth lords are the greediest pigs. Be kind to your fellow surfer and get skunked. That's the rule of thumb, Vaughn. Be a cunt, get plenty. Get your fill. <laughs> Finger buns. Number five. The Wazzle pumps over $10 million into prize money annually, Vaughn. $10 million. $10 million. I mean, uh, far out. You could almost get a... Get a beachfront dog kennel for that in Sydney or Southern California. That's a uh, that's out. a fair wad. Uh, do you reckon? Uh, you reckon Elo is just in his bed, just like making cash angels, just swimming around in those wads before he passes it on to the prize winners. Mm, don't know, but I mean, is is it a lot? Do you think ten million is a lot? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a lot. Seems like a lot to Smithy, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess when you have to spread it across. The world's elite surfing bracket, maybe not that much. I mean, we're looking at prize money uh, that's increased 20%. And, uh, well, sorry, let me rephrase that. It's interesting to note that prize money increases 20% after the mid year cut. So uh, it goes from 80K USD for first to 100K for first. And that's an interesting development for me, Vaughn. I mean, it's almost as though the Wazzle has been offering a bit of backsheesh to World Tour elites 
uh, in their successful bid to curry favour for the cutoff. Is that what's gone on here? An old fashioned, an old fashioned union busting manoeuvre straight out of the Thatcher handbook. You know, just, uh, just uh, it's the kind of shit you'd expect from the bourgeois woke elites. Uh, but yeah. Mate, you have got your tinfoil hat on there, Smithy. That's a that's a big conspiracy to launch so early in the season. I love it, mate. Get in there, classic Smith, and just fucking start white anting this fucking bourgeois coke sniffing fucking what uh, hawk quaffing pro that they're going to be running in the back half of the season once you make the cut. I like it. Yeah, juicing the juicing the money and uh, sending. The remnants of the elite packing back to the Changers on the uh, baguette and spam program and the shared hire car and the you know sleeping in pantry, mm. standing up. I believe that's what Liam O'Brien was doing during his campaign, uh, or hanging hanging from yep. Laird's moon boots in the pantry. Uh, so it's 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 tough going out there unless you're in the uh, the creme de la creme of the world tour elite. Uh, but can we just? Can we just contextualise this this ten million dollars? Because oh, it does sound like a lot to you know the average Joe who is uh, out there in the concrete dust, just uh, sweating their ring pieces out every day to earn a crust. But Cameron Smith, right, Australia's top golfer, Smithy, earned ten point six million just in prize money in nine months last year. Like that's not counting endorsements. Like this guy could just use his his winnings and. Look after every single surfer in the entire on the entire tour. It's a tour. good point. Like, that's fucking pretty it's a wild. Good point. Dude. Jordan and, uh, Jordan Mylata, the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, freaking NFL player, former South Sydney junior, earns sixty five million a year. Vaughn, would you believe? Oh, so this is one man that's like way. I mean. Is surfing that well, what, tiny? What? Is, is, is that much of a tiny little cottage industry? Are we fucking fripping and drinking our own Kool-Aid here, Smithy, thinking that surfing is this global megastructure with billions and billions of dollars when really it's it's no bigger than anything? Because Philippe Toledo, let's look at our last year's world champion, the best surfer in the world, right? Prize money, around about the 500K mark, couple of uh, couple of wins during the season, 100 grand for winning the world title, you stack all the rest of his winnings from the minor placings. It's around about 500K, right? The Danish Olympic champion, Victor Axelsson, his name is, the top badminton player in the world, Smitty. Guess how much he earned last year? Oh, tell me. $404,000. So he's, he's 100K shy of earning the same money as the number one surfer in the world, Smitty. Badminton. We're talking about oh, a guy who a, hits you got a problem tiny with little seacocks over a flimsy little fishing net and he's bagging as much coin as the fucking world's best surfer. What is going on here? Are we, are we actually having the, nah, the, a good the point. wool pulled over our eyes by the wazzle? Have they, have they just put a bunch of uh, shiny lights around this amount to make it sound like it's huge and we're all just looking at the lights instead of the actual figure? Mm, it's a good point. It's a good point. Have they bamboozled us with all these noughts and, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, just some kind of communist uh, manifesto here? Have, have some have some crumbs. Enjoy your crumbs, surfers. Enjoy <laughs> your crumbs. crumbs. are so tasty. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point. I mean, I guess the reason uh, it's not so lucrative, it must surely boil down to broadcast rights and the difficulty the WSL has with selling 
uh, the broadcast rights to a sport that, let's be real, is kind of like watching grass grow a lot of the time. Uh, you know, it just, as a TV product, it just doesn't really sit comfortably. There's so much downtime. It's pretty boring, uh, unless it's Chopes, Pipe, uh, Cooking Jabba. You know, we've had this conversation ad nauseum. I mean, David Gingell, mm. the Channel 9 CEO, ITN club president, former ITN club president, he said it years and years ago that surfing will never be a TV sport for that reason. I mean, I guess that's what that, that's where all the money's going missing because that's where big bigger sports seem to really rake in the loot. Uh, when I look at the, the football codes in Australia and America and the NBA, like as a televised product and all the ads you can sell uh, in between the stoppages and, and whatnot, far out, man. That, those TV deals are worth hundreds of millions mm. of dollars. As it is, Dirk Ziff is in a hole of tens of millions of dollars. And uh, meanwhile, we've got all these pro surfers asking for their crumb. And he's like, mate, I'm fucking, <laughs> I've got no crumbs of my own. <laughs> Mate, I just, like, it's all totally fair, man. But please explain to me how the top badminton player is getting paid as much as the top surfer in prize money. Like, surely badminton, uh, and I haven't been to Europe. I haven't been to these uh, these northern European countries for a while. Maybe badminton is as big as rugby league and, and the NFL and the world game. Uh, I don't know. But, like, is the surf industry not at least – marginally bigger than the badminton industry? Or am I tripping? Am I missing something? Have it, like, Are you playing badminton on the weekend and not telling me, Smithy? Mm, a secret badminton double life that I've been leading. But uh, <laughs> maybe I have fallen and it's none of your business. Oh, see? It's, it all comes down to seacocks yet again. Feathered mm. little seacocks flying through the air, just diminishing the great lifestyle and culture that we love so much. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's crazy. I guess the industry, this is the, the billion-dollar question. Uh, you know, the surf industry, surfing in general, it's an exponential growth sport. Uh, I don't know, somehow, despite that fact that it's on this exponential growth curve, the industry claims to be losing money. Uh, I don't know what people are buying or what they're writing then because, frick, they seem to still be purchasing a lot of surf hardware, maybe not so much the the T-shirts and whatnots of of yesteryear and bygone eras, but, yeah, I don't know if it's the industry's responsibility to fund the wazzle, I guess. uh, Mm. it, It used to be their responsibility, but now it's not, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Very good point. Number four. Skits, Eddie edits. Man, there's some insane surf documentary making going on right now. Uh, mm. I know that Eddie was a little while ago, but it, I guess there's a bit of a lag in some of the content that's uh, starting to drop about the day. And, geez, uh, it's almost as though that the skits energy of the Eddie has caused all the mediocre surf vloggers to don a beret, some square-rimmed glasses, and start gesticulating (laughs) wildly in honor of their favorite Hollywood film directors, because, by jingos, there was some highly watchable content that emerged from this usually painstaking, long-winded genre of ill-conceived storytelling, some some ripper vlogs uh, concerning Mm. Eddie. Nathan Florence's short film about the Eddie 
was incredible. Just great perspective, incredible access and insight, and just the right amount of slow motion, grandiose music that added a real sense of weight and drama to the scenes that were unfolding. You know, crew blowing drops, getting caught inside, jet skis getting caught. Uh, we know what happened roughly, but to see it from the perspective of Nate with his commentary and his kind of uh, his read on the lineup and, and, and mm. putting all the right emphasis in the right places, wow, really good. And the view from that front yard that overlooked Waimea too, you know, the, you can kind of see it in the footage. There's this, someone lives right on the point there. And that's where Nate and uh, a few of the other crew were, were watching it all go down from. Crazy perspective. You got a real sense of the the fear that everyone who was watching it had because, you know, it was almost like they're watching people potentially die. Like, it, it mm. looked like it. It looked When people were blowing drops, you're like, fuck, that guy might be dead. Um, Mark Healy, he had a sick 39-minute edit from his camp, which is worth a watch. There was uh, someone close to the Monizers, maybe. It was even Seth. Uh, they had a really epic perspective of that kind of classical Hawaiian family vibe and, and, and all the nerves at play with Josh, who was competing, and lots of weird crowd footage from... Chriso, mm. God bothering freaks, and, and just vignettes of the beach action mixed with all the, the skit surfing. And uh, yeah, Mason Ho, another one. I think Eli Olsen had a sick one. But yeah, man, you can watch them one after another and uh, just get the most amazing sense of the one of the greatest days of surfing ever. Uh, and that's what I did. I just fucking spent hours watching edit after edit uh, coming out of that Hawaii scene and. Man, it was gripping viewing. Far out. The, the coverage was just second to none. Every perspective you could hope to get on the day. Mm. And and one of the other massive, like, just mind-blowing sort of elements of watching these clips is the ones that sort of allow you to hear that amphitheatre of basically stadium noise that uh, Jamie Mitchell was talking about. Like, you know, when they have just the raw cut and someone taking the drop, like Ross Clark Jones, for example, early in the day, and the place is going off like he's killed a woolly mammoth for the whole village, you know. It's like primal, guttural screaming that is, as you say, kind of based on the fact that they could be watching someone either die in the heat of the battle or completely triumph. And that was one of my favourite things about these videos, you know, like when you sort of strip the music away and you're just taken into this really authentic, uh, real-time just energy of what was happening. But this is the world we live in, Smivy. Like, I mean, a generation of crew who have grown up with screens and often just turn the camera on themselves ever since they were born. You know, these things are just in the palm of their hands. And they've turned into these documentary makers. And I just wonder... Well, well, well... Let, let, let's not go too far. I mean, they, they've had a win on this one, but, geez, I'll tell you, uh, in the, the lead-up, the last couple of years, the glut of absolutely horseshit content that's come out of the surfing <laughs> vlog world has been, oh, mate, I tell you, it's been stacked up to me neck just in horse nard. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, had, I had a whinge about this and uh, uh, on, on a Stab Magazine article just, just calling for, you know, these vloggers, the, these pro surfers, just to maybe flick a uni student who's studying uh, filmmaking 200 bucks or something to fucking have a look at what they've made before it goes to air because pro surfing and filmmaking, as it turns out, are not the same yeah, skill set. Yeah, no, I, Francis I agree. Francis Ford I- Coppola does not 
automatically have a sick frontside gaff, nor does Nate Florence automatically have a perfect handle on uh, the narrative arc and the, the three-act <laughs> structure and whatnot. You know? So the, you, you just think we're up. a little ways off still from, uh, I don't know, Mason Ho and Rory Pringle uh, walking the red carpet at the Golden Globes or Nate Flaws and Russell Crowe having a little wrestle or handing out a Lifetime Achievement Award to Martin Scorsese at the Oscars or... Jamie O'Brien on the cover of Vanity Fair, you know, sitting in a blow-up donut in his camo sluggos, you know, as the hot new filmmaker on, on planet Earth. Like, we're a ways off. I think we've still got a, a while to go. But it, it seems that, you know, cometh the energy, cometh the event of mortal conequence and suddenly these surf filmmakers suddenly they get just this burst of inspiration as if Hui himself or herself or itself is coursing through their veins and they're just suddenly wizards on the uh, editing programs and behind the lens and just calling cut cut take cut no that won't do it all that won't do it all and uh you know that's kind of the vibe it, it, it all just seems to come from the energy but you know, when it's just a, another trip to Indo and pointing the GoPro at their head and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and here's where mm. I'm staying and here's the coffee and here's the corn kerneled uh, floater I've left in the, in the bowl and uh, here's the, the, the rice and the, you know, whatever. It's, it's all fucking just pedestrian horseshit. Yeah. And, uh, that, that puts my mind slightly at ease, Smithy, because, you know, I do make movies for a living occasionally and um, – I was getting nervous, mate. I thought all these surfers were just going to start eating into Vaughnie's crumbs. What about Deadly's crumbs, mate? Throw us a crumb. Uh, haven't you got it good enough already? Surfing all day and all night for your coin? Uh, I don't know, but um, there are worrying signs for, for a crew like me, Smivy, who uh, dabble in the in the movie arts from time to time because Katie Simmers, Noah Dean, Dane Reynolds, these are all surfers who really focus hard on developing, you know, top-line films. Uh, and you can't fault the, the three films that, or the content that Dane puts out. So, sure, yeah, we're, we're in but a state of flux here, mate. We're in a let, state of flux. Let's be Nervous. real. I mean, uh, uh, there's storytelling and then there's filming a surfer and putting it to music, and these two forms are about as far apart as you can get in the medium of filmmaking. You know, uh, mm. there, there is simply uh, minimal thought that goes into gluing music and surfing together compared to compiling a, a story and, you know, getting interviews and cutaways and uh, creating a, a narrative that is coherent. And, yeah, this is a, a very different art form to the surf film art form. And I think a lot of the vloggers are realizing that, that storytelling is not that fucking easy. Yeah, and well some said. of us have spent our careers learning it and we don't enjoy sitting through horseshit. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, mate, if you but think, if you think the world's best surfers well. are getting hard done by with prize money, wait till you get into the bank accounts of the world's best surf journalists, mate. <laughs> oh, talk about crumbs. Mate, I'm not getting crumbs. You, you need a microscope to fucking see the sustenance I'm existing on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Number... Three. Dane Reynolds' daily export. Uh, after, you know, what, more than a decade of lazing about, hurling barbs at his sponsor, riding off the world tour and generally decrying the decline of surfing culture as we know it, 
the great Dane Reynolds, he's copped a rocket up the corn from, I don't know, Zuck or some such media tycoon and started pumping out more content than a desperate young smivy on a 30k stab salary uh, back mm. when I was running the website as the inaugural web editor and just absolutely getting calluses on my fingertips from typing away. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dane is on the daily export. He's putting out content every day. And is there such a thing as too much of Dane Reynolds and his merry band of degenerate shredniks? Not in my view, Vaughn. Not in my view. Uh, Yeah, you know, last one I watched of his daily exports, I think it was MFEB and uh, DR at a Mexican point break. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You really got to ask what is behind this newfound zest for productivity and pumping out meaningless, forgettable content because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a clip-a-thon over there and it just gets me wondering. It's really not been Dane's style or MO. Is it, is it, I don't know, do we speculate? Is it, is it Shabu? Has he picked up some uh, deadly dexamphetamine habit or uh, it's Ibogaine? That's what it is, isn't it? It's Ibogaine. I knew it. (laughs) Oh, look, man. Oh, yeah, too much Reynolds is never enough, man. I mean, the, the, the sheer brutality of that guy's surfing is a joy to watch and uh, I'll cop it in whatever fucking weird, semi-onshore, same-same conditions that he surfs day after day after day, uh, you know, with his, his crew of, you know, four-litre coffee drinkers on the beach cheering him on and talking in those gruff voices. Like, more, more, more. I'm a, I'm a truffle pig for that shit, mate. Get the snout into the dirt and just gobble, gobble, gobble. Can't get enough. But what's behind it, Smithy? Oh, look, when, we, when you and I decided to sort of crank up the uh, content here at Ain't That Swell, you know, to, to introduce new shows, to try and just give people some sort of – just something to sit and enjoy and marinate in on their way to work or whatever, it kind of made it uh, easier in a weird sort of way. You know, like it's not hard to come up with content. The, the, the surf world moves so quickly. And the truth is for someone like Dane, like he, every surf he goes for, something fucking epic happens. So there's, there's going to be a daily content drop in, even if it's like three minutes long and it's just like his four best waves and a bit of banter in the car park. It's kind of worth seeing from a guy who, you know, like Oki is just so naturally gifted and such a power man that you you never get tired of his surfing. But it could be that. Could be that he's just, you know, going surfing and going, fuck, why am I sitting on this? Let's just start pumping it out. Or it could be that with all the vlogs and all the things that we were talking about just earlier coming out, do you reckon he might at this age start is it possible that he could be feeling like, oh, my God, these Groms are starting to take over, uh, haven't put anything out for a while, and there's a competitive element to it? Uh, yeah. I. Well, you know, like you, you, your relevance is a big thing in surfing. Like if you're, if you're a career pro, at some point your age and, you know, your visibility are going to start playing into your mindset, surely. Surely, yeah. And uh, as we learned from – you know, that surfers, how surfers get paid series, like it's been a bit of a roller coaster since he left quick. So there is definitely an incentive there to pull his finger out and, and get a bit of visibility. Um, and I guess like, I don't know, 
It's a hard one. I really don't know what what's behind it. Maybe it's that he's found his niche. Like he's found a, a good crew of guys to surf with up his way. Eaton Osborne, uh, that goofy foot from the Stab Highway, the blonde uh, and, and Stab Highway. What's his name? The blonde hair bloke. Mm. Forgotten his name. But uh, yeah, he's he's got a good crew to surf with. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing I've been really been enjoying about it though, Vaughn, is just that single session clips. You know, they really give you an idea of the level that these guys are really truly at. And mm. that level is really fucking high. Uh, True. And it kind of got me also thinking like, you know, when did that obsession with the the no context one hitter creep in? You know, that was one of the dumbest trends in surf films, I'm calling. Like, show me a wave put together well uh, any day over a barrage of one hitters. And, and you know, I think back to a lot of my favorite surf films, a lot of Jack McCoy's surf films early on, uh, Sick Joy, Green Iguana, these kind of ones. And it was like, you go on a trip and you get what you get, and that's the section. And it, that was that was relatable as a surfer. Um, you know, mm. sometimes they're surfing cooking to me. Sometimes they're surfing Prevly Rip Bowl or like whatever. But, uh, you know, you get to see the, the full spectrum of surfing and, uh, you know, everything from manhandling giant pits to, to groveling. And that really kind of shows you where surfing is at realistically. Whereas, you know, when I was covering those modern collective trips and, you know, as good as they were, as crazy and mind-blowing as the surfing was, it was also a bit strange to watch that unfold. Um, and, and Dane actually was was a major critic of that format. Like, mm. he was, he felt like a, a circus bear jumping through hoops, uh, I remember him saying at the time, uh, as opposed to putting waves together. You know, everyone yeah. was looking for the big crazy turn and they were just blowing wave after wave, searching for these crazy uh, fin ditches or crazy rotations as opposed to just surfing as you surf, like naturally putting waves together properly. It, it fully changed the mm. – it shifted the goalposts for a bit. And, and maybe that's what Dane's doing. He's totally bucked that trend. Like he spent the best years of his life searching for one-hitters um, to put in Kai Neville's films. And those films were great, but I, I can't – imagine it was all that enjoyable a brand of surfing and you know just to be trying to constantly surf to a bar that's that high all the time like it just doesn't sound that fun yeah i've heard a lot of surfers you know feel extremely stressed out uh because of that format of surfing too and you, you would see you know mitch colborne or uh just trying to think who else was from that generation but you know punching the fuck out of their boards after like 10 near makes but not makes and it's just what a fucking joyless way to surf eh? like to just try and land that one trick and don't get me wrong i mean skateboarders do this all day long but you know waves <laughs> i don't know they're different man they're cosmic the rail is just there it's going to be there all day every day exactly the same whereas these you know these waves like a really good high quality surf and blowing it for the sake of just this one turn you want to nail it, it seems to go against the mana, the mana of what we're doing out there, Smithy. Oh, it's a great point, Fawn. Wasting precious coiled-up droplets of <laughs> donut juice. I mean, that's just but- a disgrace. And uh, I was I was on the beach, actually, during uh, one of those modern collective trips with a full crew there, Geordie, Yaden, Dusty, Dion, Dane, and uh, and Colborne and and it was actually 
strangely super boring to watch because like we just discussed, I just watched guys wasting waves. Like there was so many attempted but not stuck maneuvers that you, like when one was stuck, it, it kind of lost its impact mm. and you weren't watching guys put waves together well. They weren't even attempting conservative maneuvers. They were wasting sections, looking for the big ramp. Uh, and the big maneuver, and it was just like for every move that was stuck, there would have been ten flyaways and ten botch maneuvers in it. Yeah, it just kind of stunk. Like, I don't know, I just wasn't that into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, far out, man. Look, Dane Reynolds, as you say, has bucked that trend, and the more clips he puts out, the more you can appreciate, as you say, like just that daily going for a surf at his local spot or, or on one of his trips and just – what he does, the way he puts it together, and again, the brutality, mate. Like, he's still in another place. He, he, I don't think there's too many surfers in the entire world who can match him for just raw, raw power. Like, it's – fuck, it's good to watch, man. As a surfer, you just can't help but marvel at the way that guy just dismembers waves. It's, it's all time. More of it, Dane. More of it, seal tooth, you crazy little munchkin. Number – you can stop searching Vaughn, the infamous logoless Tom Curran slash Morris Cole 7 3 from his uh, one and only win in Hawaii at Haleiva. What? It's been found, Vaughn. Wow. This is according to Ben Mondi in a great write up for Surfline. Uh, it was lost. But now it's been found, an iconic board that anyone who is a student of searching for Tom Curran, as I am, will remember very well. And uh, the 7-3, the yeah, that Hallie Eva section going ham, no logo on it, which gave the Rip Curl honchos an absolute aneurysm. Uh, it just no. Oh, no, it was the other way around. It, it was gave the uh, Rip Curl honchos an opportunity to sign him for life. It was OP. OP, ah, Ocean Pacific dropped him. Right. Is that the mm. story? Oh, I did not know that. That's the story because he was sponsored by OP. He'd uh, surfed through the trials to win the world title. He'd never won in Hawaii. He turns up on that board, fucking goes loony, like J-Bay-style surfing clinic and in big, messy, turbocharged Haleiwa. You speak to Rob Bain about that comp. It was terrifying. And, yeah, he wins the comp, first win in Hawaii, and OP are just like, ah, uh, Hey, Tom, where the fuck are our stickers, bro? <laughs> oh, and, wow. Uh, dumped unceremoniously. But, yeah, Rip Curl just, like, pounced, mate. They were almost like a little puma in the grass, tail wagging, eyes focused. Just jumped out. Straight on just the three-time Just fully face-hugged him and started humping his head. Yeah, you can imagine it. Yeah. Just the little rip curl pussycat up there, just dry rooting Tom's face, like claws buried into the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great tidbit. Did not know that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the board obviously closely modelled on that 7-8, which was also made by Morris that Curran did that timeless backdoor carve on. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's got its own story. That 7-8 Vaughn, can you believe Morris actually used that board as his Mundaka gun for a decade uh, only to sell it at an auction to some hapless elite for $16,500 US. That's what he sold the 7-8 for. And, uh, I mean, presumably a dollar for each pressure ding and crease fix in it. 
Uh, yeah, so got rid of that one uh, at an absolute, uh, yeah, a special, oh, special price for you, Mr. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, yeah, 16 grand, <laughs> 16 grand US. Wow. Uh, but yeah, anyway, back to the 7 3. And uh, yeah, just one, wins Haliava and a world title um, and then pulls the pin and takes it with him, I, I believe, to his. First sessions at J Bay, although it was a ravage that he surfs in uh, the iconic, you know, so called first wave at J Bay. That was a 6 6 ravage, but the 7 3, it was there. I think he gets a couple out J Bay on it. Uh, and then he snapped it and he took it back to Morris's shaping bay in France. And uh, yeah, Morris had this to say uh, when speaking to Mondi. I don't know where he broke it, when he broke it, or how he broke it, but it ended up in a trash can outside my factory. And Tom being so vague or so stoned or both, he never told me. So, uh, yeah, the, the board's just snapped. It's in a trash can next to Morris's uh, factory, this heirloom, this surfing, uh, you know, this just ancient artifact mm. that, that needs to be kept and restored. And so Monty picks up the story from there. He says, uh, Pierre Giglia, a grom working at the factory, he sees the board and, and he asks Morris if he can have it. And Morris, unaware that it's Tom 7-3, didn't think twice. Uh, so Pierre uses his rudimentary board repair skills and he puts it back together. So since then, the board has been gathering dust in Pierre's g- garage and uh, its location hidden from the wider world. The handful of people who knew about it had offered Pierre up to 10,000 euros for the board. What? But he'd, knock, he'd knock them back. 10, Mate, that's as, much money as you, that's as much money as you need to... Uh Give everyone on the world to a prize money, Smithy, isn't it? Ten thousand is that pretty what you much? Said? Yeah, ten thousand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, once you factor in the conversion rates, I mean, Jesus, you could, uh, <laughs> yeah, Rio Wider could dead set buy half a leggy on with that. But uh, yeah, so anyway, here here's the board. Morris pulls out the tape measure and the set square, and he measures out the lengths. So the story goes, uh, the board emerges, and uh, it gets taken to Morris. So I guess by Pierre and. Uh, Morris pulls out the tape measure, the set square. He's measuring out the length of the prescribed 7-3. Then he runs the set square down the board, pointing out the the gentle reverse V fading to flat between the fins and the almost invisible V spine behind the back fin. And last, he draws the tape down to the wide point, and there it was, Fawn. There it was, the sacred parchment, the holy grail, as it were, 17 and 5 eighths born. Wow. It was the board for sure. And uh, Morris had this to say, people talk about hand shapes having soul. Well, this is an example. I can whittle a board for hours. It was winter in France. I had no work on and I was shaping a gun for Tom Curran. So I took three days on it. I had this concept in my head and I kept trying to find it. I didn't really know what I was doing. It was all so new and so foreign back in 91. It's great to have my hands on it. What a gift it is. What a gift it is, Morris. A a gift not just to you, but to surfing as a whole, to the surfing public, to the global the global world at large, Vaughn. I mean, what could be better than a Morris Cole seven three with a reverse V? No, no, this is uh, this is like diving into uh, the ancient tombs in Egypt and just uh, uncovering, you know, sacred, just spiritual totems, Smithy. What a story! I'm so stoked. Fuck, imagine if you could find all the boards throughout history that have uh, mysteriously vanished. I'm just uh, thinking of my own 
boards actually. And uh, my old man gave me a San Juan, my first ever board. I actually left it at the beach at a, a club comp when I was nine because mum came down the beach and said, hey, guess what, we're going to SeaWorld. And I just ran and jumped in the car, didn't even think about my board and mysteriously vanished, probably turned in a, up in a, a hock shop down the road from Bolsey's place, but... I'd love to know where that one was, mate. Had a kind of a, a green Tom Carroll stripe down the side. And oh, actually, my stripe. wife's first board, how's cop this for a story? My wife's first uh, surfboard was a hot dot, had polka dots on it. And the fucking thing survived the black summer fires down at Rosedale, which got completely incinerated. Survived that, but then got stolen by looters. So I don't oh. know. If you're on the South Coast and you come across a, a hot dot surfboard, Get in touch with Smivy and Deadly. Let us know because um, that would honestly be as a stoker for me as finding, um, you know, a Morris 7073. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, and of course, mate, I uh, accidentally drove away from my fucking Ian Byrne, House of Burn 66 at the past few months back. Oh, it still leaves me shuddering in, in fetal position at night time, cold sweat. Whimpering tears running down my cheeks. If someone's got it, it's got my name on the stringer for fuck's sake. Give it back. Mm. Yeah. Big thanks to uh, Earn Burn for uh, setting me off with a new 66 Mivy, and it is a fucking weapon, old boy. Oh. This guy is an absolute genius. He's a but, master craftsman. I don't know, man. What, do you reckon this is a good idea for a um, maybe a reality? No, not even like a, a 1980s sort of action detective show where maybe we could get Tom Selleck or, it's, or the modern-day Tom Selleck alike to play Ben Mundy. And uh, he just goes around to different areas and it's like Murder, She Wrote, where there's an, a missing board in that town and he's got to interview all the local, uh, you know, sheriffs and, and bad eggs and all that sort of stuff until he, he uncovers the, the shocking truth that it was actually, you know, the town mayor who'd been stashing them or uh, the local... Uh, the local priest who had been sort of sticking them in a cave down the beach or something like that. Could be a really good show, mate. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, kind of echoes of Spotlight, the hard-hitting investigative journalist out there on the beat, just uh, tireless in his work to uncover the stolen craft of the local call lord. Where does it lay? Mm. Which filthy miscreant pocketed it? Uh, does he live in West Tweed? Probably. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, oh, instead of calling legs. it Magnum PI, let's call it Mondi PI, mm. the surfboard detective. Mm. Mm. <laughs> ah, one of the greats, Mondi. Massive shout out to Mondi uh, last. On your space ghost. Yeah, yeah, one of the greats of the surf journalism caper, subsisting on crumbs like the rest of us. Uh, but geez, fuck, all dick ribs and dengue on that crumb diet, that's for sure, Vaughn. He's a, he's a lanky bastard. And uh, well played, Mondi. Another gold cone piece to you, sir. Well played. Number one. Byron Bay, world famous, wins the Australian board riders battle, Vaughan, after years of suffering under the glut of global capital and the endless cavalcade of snooty elites, property speculators, slimy, coked-up charlatans, Botoxed and fake-bosomed flesh medallions. The core lords from the bay have finally turned the tide on the bourgeois bra. In a nod to Wilsey bra, Pilesy bra, Parksy bra, Wardo bra and Margot bra, they've gone and won the board riders' battle. The rainbow flags were waving Vaughn. The patchouli oil 
was flowing and the Hessians were out in force, spewing unintelligible acid ramblings down there at Newcastle. What a win for the Byron Battlers. You were there. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, if you haven't had a listen to Blitz earlier this week, we had a chat to Solly Bailey and Sean Doherty. Doherty being, uh, you know, commentating the event with myself uh, over the weekend. And Solly Bailey has just given us some good insights into the culture of Byron, the surf culture in particular, Smithy, because, yes, it is basically a mecca for the worst kind of blow-in, but the actual, you know, core underground, those names you just mentioned, they're not fucking – like, they're, they're almost tradey-like, no-nonsense fucking hardcore battler workers, Those that, that crew, you know. Like, if you think about Byron surfers, the guys who have made it, they're all such fucking just no nonsense characters, and oh well, 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 well. Hey, I might just have to pull you up there. Uh, uh, who you got? Work, well, workers might be a bit of a stretch. I mean, this was famously the unemployment dull bludging capital of the world for a good thirty years. Yeah, uh, true, so, true. Yeah, Maybe I mean, not workers, but de- definitely like tradie like in the way that they approach surfing. There's not a whole. Oh, lot that's of right. Tradesmen like in their oh for sure. Tradesmen like in their commitment to the rail. Uh, that's <laughs> for sure. I mean, try and get them on a job site though. You got fucking Buckleys. Yeah. But, mate, it was it was just such an epic weekend. Those guys were easily the most thrilling team to watch because the, the way that the, the board riders battle is set up, I mean, dude, we were talking earlier this episode about, you know, surfing being an absolutely fucking shit-ass TV product. This is the golden ticket, man. Like, you can watch surfing for an hour in this format. The waves can be dog shit. You can have... Surfers who might be pulling on a, a rashi for their club uh, that are never a chance of surfing in even a junior event or a, a QS or anything like that. And they get out there and they're surfing heats against CT surfers and every second counts, fucking every decision matters. Like the, the big dogs can crumble under the pressure of the clock. It is absorbing stuff, mate. And Byron were easily the most entertaining storyline of that comp because – in every heat they surfed, they were up against it. The clock was ticking down. They needed two surfers to log scores. They had to, you know, stay competitive. And they never gave up, man. It was so gritty. And by the end, you know, like Dakota Wilders paddles out with just this head full of steam and uh, the club feeling like they finally got momentum after years of just underperforming. <clears throat> Does the biggest fucking tail blow reverse you've ever seen in a heat, like – I struggle to think of anyone who's done a better one, uh, you know, outside of CT competition. Gets like uh, almost a 10 for a 9.2 or something and they were just away. But, you know, of course, this is the glory of this format. The other teams, Avoca, Merriweather, Snapper Rocks, all former winners, just start clawing them back because they've got that experience. They've got that confidence to, to come from an impossible situation. Smithy, mate. By the time they won, it just dawned on me, like, maybe we've got it all wrong with surfing. Maybe it's not an individual sport. Maybe we should actually start franchising these surf clubs out to fucking uh, in, in the rugby league style or the big bash style. Give them all team colours. Get them a mascot. Start a, uh, a at least a national competition where this is happening every single weekend. And at the end of the year, with your, uh, your point score in your finals, you just – that's what – that's the fucking ticket. That's how you make it a sport. That's how you uh, can stay involved because it's every bit as exciting as, a, as an 80-minute game of footy or, you know, a really exciting fucking team sport in any other, any, any other field. 
It was amazing. Mate, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's been the biggest revelation, these past two events, uh, the Usher Cup and and now uh, the ABB, watching them back-to-back. It's like, yeah, it it has all this storyline narrative. It doesn't really matter so much on the quality of the waves. Although, you know, if you did turn it into a a, a surf league, I mean, we did used to have a national surf league, didn't we, in the 80s? Um, And, you know, something like, you know, we could easily have a league that took place at Australia's, you know, the kind of blown-out waves like your snapper, you know, sick to have one at Shark Island or the Cape, uh, you know, a slab somewhere. Uh, uh, tomb, I don't know where you're going to have it. Like, but we have enough waves in this on this continent to easily sustain a national surf league. And uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of back in the day when I was a grom. You didn't really have surfing on TV. What you had was the Iron Man stuff, and and that was kind of your only team based ocean fix. And mm. you know you, you're, and it was exciting enough, you know, watching, uh, watching a bunch of weird strook RSL nerds, Tozzies <laughs> wedged up their coit, rowing some fucking archaic boat through the lineup yeah. and nose diving and just getting catapulted onto dry sand. Jeez, that was great viewing, and uh, you know the, all the the board racing. I mean, look, it, it's as fucking strook as ocean culture gets. But uh, it was still highly entertaining. So, I mean, to think that we could actually have surfing in a similar format uh, in this country, man, it would be unreal. And you could almost have like a an internet. You, you could have national surf leagues all around the the planet, and then have a, a, a you know a, a big culmination of that in some kind of world club challenge like the Usher Cup had. I think it is the future because too many CT heats sadly boil down to this chess match with two guys sitting on each other and, uh, you know, just being far too selective in the waves that they catch. And there's just way too much downtime. Like, I can't tell you how many heats I've been on the beach for and watched the best waves going unridden while Mm. two guys sit out the back looking for eights and nines, which is, you know, what that format uh, needs like that, that. That's what it. That's what they're looking for to get the win. You, you're not looking for all those inside fun ones. But holy shit, at backdoor, at snapper, at J Bay, the amount of cooking waves you see go unridden in any event is fucking. Yeah. Oh, geez, it, it, it gets a young surf journalist subsisting on crumbs. Very hot under the collar, mm. indeed, Vaughn. Yeah. Ropeable, in fact. No, well, this is this is another thing, Smithy. Is like you know. <laughs> It's just such a good product because in a, any other team sport, the, the story narratives are just everywhere. Like, you know, you, you're seeing some battler who might have got a contract just because he, he played a couple of good games of park footy and, and a talent scout saw him and all of a sudden he's playing rugby league or AFL or whatever it is and he, and he, he just becomes a hard man and then next thing he's on his way and, and this is what this competition does. It puts the spotlight on so many different types of surfers. But, man, there is no downtime in these heats. Like, you're never sitting around watching even the, the tiniest skerrick of an opportunity get passed up. So it's just nonstop action. And I don't know, man, like ISA, right, the uh, International Surfing Association, which basically creates the formatting and runs the Olympic surfing. Like, they have the team's challenge as part of their whole MO, and so it has to go in there. And if, you, if Olympic team surfing becomes a thing, which it should because it's much more – it makes much more sense to make the team element of, of uh, Olympic surfing 
your number one thing over the individual medals because an individual medal is a novelty for, for pro surfers. It might grow in stature as, you know, surfing stays in the Olympics. But right now the world title is what all anyone cares about. So bring that team element in, make that the focus and then build team events around Australia because this is the way to get it on TV, man, no doubt. That's And that's the point. I mean, you know, the surfers on the WSL Elite Tour, they might be, you know, not that psyched on this idea. You know, they've worked their entire lives to get where they got. But when it all boils down to it, it's like this could be much more lucrative for surfing, like in terms of mm. those TV deals and shit. Because, yeah, you've created a product that is so watchable. And not only that, you know, you create all this culture. There's all It brings all this local and regional uh, kind of spins on surfing and culture. That That's the beauty of these board riders events is that everyone's – got a team everyone's got a board riders club it reminds me like the fa cup in uh in football over there in the uk and you know where these teams can come from fucking wombara or uh you know uh, the illawarra wherever and claw their way up and and all of a sudden north shelly they're 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 heroes of the country Mm. um byron in this case who you know as far as i know i don't think they've ever finaled uh, at a board riders battle in, in my nah. memory. And, and here they are winning the thing from absolute obscurity with a fucked up team, let's be real. Dakota Walters is an absolute superstar in the making, man. I mean, mm. holy shit. His, his performance in that Stab High series uh, was mind-melting. And he's a teetotaling Grom, doesn't drink. Uh, he's like a full clean skin, savvy kid, and just fully committed to aerial wizardry and progressive antics. But yeah, I, I see a, a future in this form. That that Usher Cup got me so psyched. I, I watched that on the telly the, the the first day when it was cooking at Snapper, uh, and even on the the worser days when the the conditions really deteriorated into absolute dribble, it was still there was so much pressure and tension and uh, tactics and strategy and yeah, it, it's such a watchable product, man. So it, it's it surely uh, has to become a bit more of a, a regular fixture in, in the surfing calendar. Mm. And it's, it's non-ageist, non-sexist. It's all in. It's, it's just, a, it's my, geez, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to find something wrong with it. You know, like you could, you could tweak or, or do whatever, but for me right now, it is the best product in surfing. Joel Tudor, the great Joel Tudor Vaughan, the self-proclaimed goat, Joel Tudor. <laughs> he fully is a self-proclaimer, isn't he? He's uh, he's big on the, the self-proclamations. Yeah, I'll listen to a recent podcast of him on the Surfers Journal and, jeez, uh, not shy of big up at himself and, you know, just desserts, let's be real. I'm not going to argue with a man who is a, a 50 times black belt in jiu-jitsu and can fully pretzel me despite his spindly frame. Uh, yeah, mm. there's uh, – look, yeah, if you say you're the GOAT, you're the GOAT. But, uh, yeah, he's put out a, a sick old-school clip of Jeff Hackman doing highline cheetah fives through a hollow inside sunset bowl and just other mind-melting lines on a, on a Mondo craft. Like, far out. I don't know what he's riding, but it, it looks well into the, the nine-foot range. But how classic is that brand of surfing from that era 
in serious waves. You know, just so much speed, flow, style, just pure surf. Like you, you get a sense of what he's feeling. You know, he's just absolutely hooning through fairly critical waves. Uh, probably leashless, mm. and oh man, what a joy to watch! What a what a kind of forgotten art form it is. Oh man, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mr. Sunset, that he's the original Mr. Sunset, Jeff Hackman, and oh, God, that that was a joyful experience, wasn't it? You just sit there and you just soak in in these really pure, as you say, lines. Um, Matt Young had a, a kind of a philosophy on great surfing, and uh, and it. Flowed through into skiing as well. He was, a, a, you know, one of those early surfers to just hit the mountains along with Hackman and a bunch of other crew. But he, he called it the fall line. So you're just constantly in the perfect place where gravity is doing its thing and you're relying on nothing but perfect positioning to surf perfectly, if that makes sense. Um, he even called that his surf shot the fall line. Yeah. And to me, this is, this is exactly what this is. It's, it's minimum. It's the economy of movement and yet – absolutely caning, always in the right spot and just allowing himself to be purely in the moment and enjoying the ride. Like it's, yeah, it's real cosmic surfing, isn't it? There, there is no ego. There's no real performance uh, aspect to it. It's just pure, pure enjoyment. And, um, yeah, I, I'm with you, mate. I've, I was blown away by that footage, especially those little cheetah fives. Like – when you're up the very nose of a board like that on a wave that big, you are going so fast and there is literally – it would feel like there's nothing between you and the surface of the water. Like you're not looking at at the front of your board. You've just got your toes and you're fully walking it. Unbelievable. Yeah, six to eight foot inside bowl sunset, cheetah five, going warp speed, the skin peeling back on your scone. Are you kidding me? I mean, he's just <laughs> absolutely connecting straight to the pure guy and energy, just mainlining it like electrodes strapped to his temples, his nutsack, his fucking spinal cord, just IV drips in both arms, just mainlining the juice. Oh, mm. man, he must have been fizzing for days. No wonder he... Uh, fell into some skitty cocaine addiction and trafficking. Uh, I mean, heroin. The cum- heroin. Heroin. Right, yeah. Yeah. You, well, you got to wash uh, it off somehow. You got to wash that buzz off. I mean, Jesus, he would have been off his <laughs> fucking gherkin. Hey, hey, mate. Um, just yeah. And again, we we spoke about kind of like the best surf biographies we've ever read. Uh, Mister Mister Hackman by Phil Jarrett. Uh, Mister Hackman, fucking hell. It's Mister Sunset, the Jeff Hackman story by Phil Jarrett. Definitely hunt it out, read it. You will not be disappointed. It's a hardcover book. It's beautiful. Like it's, it, you know, it's got uh, heaps of photos and stuff in it too, but some of the stories in there are mind-blowing. And um, just as an aside, Smithy, I wanted to shout out Beneath the Waves, the Lane Beachley biography. We never mentioned it, and it is it, – it peels back the fucking – oh, man. It, it peels back basically what you think you know about Lane and reveals – the true story and it is completely shocking and puts her in a level of, of uh, fucking, you know, like that Muhammad Ali sort of style of greatness where what she has overcome to get to where she was is without peer, you know, not in surfing, I don't think. Amazing. The swelling queen. Yeah, beneath the waves. Uh, it's You should be able to Google it. Born uh, Sebastian Studner, the great Nord Lord. He's popped up on Buddha Joe Rogan's Instagram riding a 115-foot wave fawn. Are you kidding me? 
Mm. I mean, uh, I don't know who's got the tape measure out, but they're calling it 115 foot. And uh, it's got Joe Rogan flared up, um, which is pretty skits. I mean, uh, to think that of all the surfers in the world, uh, the insane levels of talent a guy from landlocked Germany has uh, popped up on probably the most influential man on the planet's Instagram account and got the full props from Uncle Joe. I mean, yeah. Ironic to say the least, but fuck, it's a big wave. Are you? Are you kidding? Mm. I haven't. I, I haven't seen this one yet. But you know, was it only just uh, last episode we were talking about Kelly Slater completely and utterly rinsing Nazare as a, a, a non-legitimate big wave location? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, I think uh, the fact that a Nord Lord can get a hundred and fifteen foot wave out there only furthers the goat's point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, look, props from Joe Rogan. <laughs> I mean, you join an elite club there, Smithy. Oh, he can take that to the bank, Vaughn. Holy shit. The Nord Lord, he'll be uh, living in a plump mansion overlooking Nazare, just checking it from his balcony going, ha, sick. It's fucking 100 foot and offshore. I'm out there. Get the Mercedes jet ski. <laughs> you won't be missing a session. There'll be no windows Going missed for Studna, Studzi, brah. He's gonna be all it, over it. It is funny though, isn't it? Because you know, like I'm sure there'd be uh, portions of the big wave community, which is a very supportive, inclusive community. Yes, competitive, but mostly they, you know, you hear them all always saying, you know, like we look out for each other. It's life or death out there. But do you think that there'd be a, a small sort of percentage of that community looking at this guy getting his props? Surfing it out there and uh, just going, oh, no, not this fucking cunt again. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, look, there's an easy way to sniff out whether he's, uh, you know, worth his weight in talent or not, and that's uh, giving him an invite to the next Eddie, and I can't wait to see that for him. Get him in there. Get, <laughs> get Stutzy Bra on a 10-2. Trying to knife one under the ledge at the bay, and uh, we'll see what he's oh. made of. We'll see if, if he can get a bit of respect. Respect me, bro, from the uh, big wave Dave's out there, Vaughn. Problem solved, Smithy. Problem solved. Quickly, goat watch, Vaughn. Fellow goat, Tom Brady has hung up the. Uh, what is it that American footballers wear? Is it a is it a tutu under all that padding? A, a, a leopard g-string, maybe some uh, yeah arseless chaps. I don't know, but anyway, he's hung it up. Tom Brady, the NFL mm. goat, and uh, it's prompted a bit of a uh, a bit of a rumination from our very own goat Kelly Slater. Uh, this is what he had to say uh, on the topic of just you know the future and surfing and you know a few other esoteric concepts. Mm. You know, people need to kind of just feel it out. People have done something for a really long time; they love it. It's beyond the money they make. It turns into friendships and lifestyle and family and all that stuff. It's not an easy decision to come to, especially when the skill is still there. I feel that candle kind of burning out for me, and that's been for a while. But I think I'm going to just surf until it's totally done. And I don't really care about surfing a heat and wanting to be somewhere else. That was the GOAT's take on retirement uh, following mm. the retirement of his good mate, Brazy bra. Brazy bra. Yeah, that's nice. I like to hear that because, you know, Kelly, as we've talked about, Smivy, you know, he, he mentioned in that, that uh, Western Australian episode at Margie's at the beer farm that he was tired and he sort of uh, backed that up again here. But uh, 
if you're having fun and you're in the moment and the results aren't really troubling you as, as much as they used to, I've, I've heard a rumour that he's, he's kind of getting, he might be getting a leg up into the Olympic team. So if that's true, uh, it takes a lot of pressure off like this year for him and he might just do a kind of a victory lap and just sort of say goodbye to crew. I guess the cut would be the main thing that he's, he's got an eye on if he wants to really do a last lap. But to me, that sounds like a guy who's, who's winding down, doesn't it? I mean, it is a guy clearly who's winding down, so pretty crazy. But I just wanted to um, add to that, the, the big Kelly story for me this week was Pamela Anderson has just dropped a, a documentary on Netflix, Smivy. Oh, wow. And, and mate, the tell-all memoir has, I think, done Kelly an injustice because she talks about him glowingly in this documentary. The documentary is, I think, either produced or directed by her son. Mm. So she's very open, no makeup, you know, really uh, kind of, I guess, just being completely candid uh, because she trusts the filmmaker. And she says in this thing, uh, words the effect of, I loved Kelly, but he was like a bird. I just couldn't kind of keep my arms around him and he, he was just too free for me to, um, to be with. So in, in other words, mate... The breadstick is not diminished one bit. In fact, wow. it is fresh and hot and out of the oven and steaming, my friend, and I think oh. that would maybe have given him the confidence to see out this year competitively. Wow, you can smell it from here, Born, that roasting, delicious breadstick. It's at full attention and just creme de la creme, freshly baked. The goat's back in it for another round, that's for sure. And, uh, I mean, yeah, wow, what a scoop. Can't believe that, Vaughn. Netflix does it again. Good scoop. Get onto it. And, uh, yeah, I think the publishers of Pam's memoir need to have a good, hard fucking look at themselves, Smithy. That is not Gold Cone Peace award-winning journalism. Ah, what a disgrace. It's under or over. The WSL has announced its transgender policy and uh, there's at least one female surfing icon lining up to boycott the wazzle over it. Uh, that icon is Bethany Hamilton Vaughan. Let's hear what she had to say. Today, I want to address the news that the World Surf League has officially made the rule that male-bodied individuals known as transgender athletes can officially compete in the women's division. The World Surf League says they are following the Olympic guidelines. While I address this issue, I want to be clear that I strive to have love for all of mankind, regardless of any differences. But this concerns me as a professional athlete that has been competing in the World Surf League events for the past 15 plus years. And I feel that I must speak up and stand up for those in position that may feel that they cannot say something about this. I think many of the girls currently on tour are not in support with this new rule and they fear being ostracized if they speak up. So here I go. Questions I have that I want to consider with you. How is this rule playing out in other sports like swimming, running, MMA? Have any of the current surfers in the World Surf League been asked what their thoughts and opinions are on this new rule before it was passed or announced? Should there be a conversation with the 17 women and all of the men on tour prior to a rule change such as this? Is a hormone level an honest and accurate depiction that someone indeed is a male or female? 
Is it as simple as this? Who is pushing for this huge change? Does this better the sport of surfing? Is this better for the women in surfing? If so, how? How did whoever decided these hormone rules come to the conclusion that 12 months of testing testosterone make it a fair and legal switch? Why is the WSL's statement um, about trans women competing with, with women and yet there's no mention of converted women competing with men? I personally think that the best solution would be to create a different division so that all can have a fair opportunity to showcase, showcase their passion and talent. And I think it's really hard to imagine the future of women's, what the future of women's surfing will be like in 15 to 20 years down the road if we move forward um, allowing this major change. But we are seeing glimpses of male-bodied dominance in women's sports like running, swimming, and others. My hope is that if I ever have a daughter who is competing in surfing or any sport, and also for all the aspiring young generation of women, to have a bright and promising opportunity in her ambition to be the best of the best woman in her sport. I personally won't be competing in or supporting the World Surf League if this rule remains. Thanks. Going into this, I knew the hammer of mean and cruel and harshness would be thrown down on me for not going with the flow, for having a different opinion, for being open and sharing my questions, thoughts, and my opinion on the new rules implemented that transgender athletes or male-bodied athletes can now compete in the women's division of the World Surf League as following the Olympic rules. According to the policy, in order for these athletes to compete, they must meet a certain testosterone requirement. Are they simply a hormone level? Am I just a hormone number? Is it as simple as that? I'm not gonna go into a bunch of questions, but from what I know, this is not supported by the majority of the women currently competing uh, on the tour. And these women are amazing, kind, beautiful ladies. They're not hateful, transphobic ladies that share this same or simi similar opinion as I. But now all of these ladies get to see me taking this public and what a hateful and cruel world it can be where people sit behind their screens and instead of having a thoughtful debate or conversation, instead they choose to spew awful things and tell you to be quiet. <laughs> to me, that is a scary world, to shut up debate and conversation. And I believe that is very wrong. I don't blame the other athletes for not wanting to speak up because they know too well how harsh and cruel the world can be. I will say, though, it's been amazing to see the amount of people opening up and talking about this issue. The majority are in agreement with me, and I'm glad I can help encourage others to stand up. There are even some very thoughtful and differing opinions shared with interesting thoughts, but they've done so in a nice way. And so thank you to those of you who are nice, even if you disagree. If there's one thing I've learned over the last few years, it's that I don't and I won't live in an anger at the world and the people I share it with. I won't hate because I don't see the way th see things the way others may.
and I will continually aim to have grace, forgiveness, and love and honesty, no matter how cruel and harsh the world may be. So lots of love, everyone. Now, Vaughn, as far as my own take on this goes, let's just say I've been growing my hair out for a reason. Now, for the big reveal, my friend, as you'll notice by my glorious tan, I'm freshly returned from Thailand. Get a load of this! Oh my God! <laughs> what have you done? That's right, Vaughn. I got the op and I can report I have already competed in my first women's WQS event where I was eliminated in the first round by Katie Simmons' 12-year-old third cousin. But champions, as we know, are not made overnight. I'm on the queue and I don't care how long it takes. I reckon I've got what it takes to claim a few scalps. I will wish you all the best, Smivy, in your future endeavour and career on the Women's World Tour. But look, man, this is a, it's a big conversation. Yeah, what's your take for? It's on, a big conversation What's in, your take? I mean, sport. Well, where are you on this? Over yeah, under. No, no, look. I, no sitting on the fence. No sitting on no, the no, fence. I'll give it to you. I just think that... Uh, I just don't know if there's any advantage to being a giant, ripped-out, huge-cocked, weighty, bald bag male body because uh, if that was the case, if there was an advantage, then will it, surely William Cardoso and Jay Davies would be the world champs 12 times over and Phil Toledo would just mm. be fucking put in a little Shanghai and pinged over the horizon, Smivy. Uh, mm. Yeah, look, mate, I mean, uh, women surfing right now from the Queens, Tyler, Carissa, Steph, down to the next generation, Katie, Katie uh, and Sierra. You just can't tell me that cutting off your bits and eating some estrogen is going to give you a shot in heck against these athletes. I don't know, Smoothie. I mean, uh, I'm of the opinion that it's uh, the, the WSL, uh, you know, definitely trying to be one foot in camp woke and, and just stay ahead of this and, and be leaders in this sort of open and uh, accepting new society that we live in. Uh, and I just don't know if it, it, it's definitely a huge thing in other uh, sports, you know, like UFC and stuff like that. You, you really start opening the doors to, to some male body domination. But I just don't get it in surfing, man. I feel like good surfers, they just fucking surf good. And sometimes it's because they're light and languid and sublime like Steph Gilmore and sometimes it's because they've got a little nuggety power act but what do you think I just don't see what the big deal is in surfing for, for me in surfing it's an over from the WSL and an under for the overreaction to it mm, interesting yeah well I mean there is precedent for this Vaughn and we're all acting like this has just landed on us but uh, if we turn back our minds to one of the great compilations of women surfing of all time, a, a film that in, literally inspired like an entire generation uh, of women surfers. Uh, I'm talking about Blue Crush here. Uh, you, mm. You'll see the great Noah Johnson, a Hawaiian call lord par excellence. Uh, he was forced to uh, gender gender transform in order to surf in that film. Uh, I, I believe he donned a wig and a bikini for the opportunity to surf eight-foot pipe. Uh, on his own. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not sure if you got the chop. I'm not sure if you got the op. 
But uh, maybe he did. I mean, we know how progressive Hollywood is, and uh, I haven't seen him around since. Like, I haven't seen him surfing out Piper. I haven't seen, I haven't heard a lot about Noah Johnson since. But, uh, you know, some of the best uh, clips in that film of a chick surfing at Pipe was actually a cross dressing Noah Johnson. So, I mean, look, mm. uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's where the problem lies. It's left a little bit of a bad taste in Bethany's mouth, being a fellow Hawaiian. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the B in Bethany's bonnet is. I mean, maybe it's like a case of, you know, look, she's up against people with two arms already. So, uh, you know, putting her up against a dude with two arms, you're like, are you fucking serious? What more do you want? You only got two arms. So, oh uh, yeah, uh, it's just yeah. A, a bridge too far for Bethany. And that's uh, fairy, fairy, fairy muff and fair enough and all the rest of it too. Mm. Yeah, I, I just feel like we have an opportunity in our culture at least to just live and let live here on this one. I, I really don't see the advantage of, of a male body over a female body in surfing. Steph Gilmore is, is a, you know, fucking a flawless surfer. Like what, what would you change in her to make her surf better? Nothing. You certainly wouldn't stick a fucking breadstick and a couple of kiwi fruits between her legs and expect her to surf better. Well. I'm going to have to give it a... Well, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that this is an unequivocal... We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stay tuned. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, Smivy. Uh, we're going straight into it here, mate. Uh, this one's from Adam Lang, mate, 142. He wants to know, you guys keep banging on about Core Lords, yet probably the hardest underground charger won the backdoor shootout and he didn't even get a mention. How about throwing Benji some love? Well, actually, we have given Benji love on this show. Uh, and, yeah, he's, he's definitely due for a Core Lord, Smivy. Ah, oh, I mean, did this guy not listen to our blitzed backdoor shootout rap? We were... Throwing froth and spoof and accolades galore at the great Benji brand. Mm. His performance at the backdoor shootout. I mean, at that point, we didn't know whether he'd won or not. Uh, obviously, the uh, announcement on that was delayed until Kalar Grace had regained full health or, uh, you know, full consciousness. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, jeez, I don't know if anyone does it better at the pipeline than the uh, South African expat. Uh, just that coiled up. Yeah, just like a small ball, kind of reminiscent of CJ Hobgood, I guess, on those knifings he does. And, uh, yeah, just uh, he's got the read on that joint. I don't think anyone knifes it better frontside than Benji. uh, And how he managed to get that good, being a a tiny white kid from South Africa uh, in the lineup there. Jeez, imagine the amount of shit waves he would have had to go uh, to get any level of respect in that lineup. And mm. imagine how how good his read on that lineup must be. Like, in order to navigate a pecking order like that and still get on bomb after bomb, it's crazy. Like, I, I it defies belief. Mm. I mean, you know, I remember chatting to Mick O'Brien and Mick uh, was saying about Jamie, like, uh, you know, I, I would never have believed the waves that he gets at Pipeline, mm. being a, the son of an Aussie uh, from Frankston and, and, a, and a white dude. Like, uh, that, that can be a serious, <laughs> a serious 
problem uh, in terms of access to quality waves. But, you know, Jamie born and bred in Hawaii, Benji not. So, yeah, uh, a remarkable feat. Yeah, and I just love that low, like sort of hovering over the knee, chest almost pressed on the front leg knee as he's coming off the bottom. He's he's just – it's like he's – um. Yeah, it's almost like he's a, a cat just ready to spring, you know. He's so low when he comes off the bottom. But I reckon we put some baits in the water and see if we can get Benji Brand on the show, mate, because I'd love to hear a bit more about his story. As you say, just such a consistent performer in that heavy, heavy, mortal cones of orbulent conequence. Hope you get the lot, you dog. This one is uh, from CJ Fogarty, Smithy. Can you guys please explain again one of the greatest lines ever written in your songs? Would Shane Haran take 50 grand over a lettuce leaf? Oh, take it away, Vaughn. I mean, it's absolute folklore uh, from Scum Valley's finest himself, the Goon and Gary great, the, uh, the four-time yeah. world title runner-up. But well, when, I was, uh, yeah, when we were creating the, the uh, 300th issue of Surfing World magazine, I was going through every single issue, like every single one we went through and we were basically doing a bit of a poll on who'd had the most stories, photos, uh, you know, appearances in Surfing World and then giving it a point tally and, and trying to figure out who was the most sort of influential surfer in the history of the mag. And I came across this Shane Haran interview and um, it was talking about sort of how he'd lost sponsorship and had, it, had he, uh, you know, what mattered to him. And he was basically kind of in a bit of a, you know, a bit of a flux because he was a, he was a real um, spiritually connected man and he was an earthy man and, he, and nature mattered to him and balance mattered to him and cosmic fucking vibration mattered to him. And he, he says in this interview, he goes, you know what, I'd rather win f- – well, no, he goes, I'd rather – Grow a lettuce, then win fifty grand. That was his. That was his uh, takeaway. Mm. One of his big quotes in the story, like the lift out quote. I'd rather grow a lettuce than win fifty grand. And I thought that's one of the best surf quotes I've ever seen. Yeah. So yeah, it must be immortalised in song. Surely, I, I think it's a, a metaphor for how to live your life. That you know, all the material benefits of the world don't really. Uh, they don't really come close to comparing to just the sheer joy you get from being a part of nature, growing your own food, watching it grow over time. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of true, like in a sense. Like, I'm um, sure you can buy a whole lot of iceberg lettuces. Well, I mean, they are pretty expensive, but you can get a couple for 50 grand. But, uh, you know, like, it, it is a great metaphor for life. It, it is just that. Uh, you want to really just be connected to nature more than you want to be connected to the material, trinkety, bourgeois, coke-sniffing, caviar-eating, champagne, drinking, kitty-fiddling reptilian world. That's right, mate. He may not have a world title, but fuck, he's eaten some lettuce in his life. Oh, he's eaten it. He's smoked it. He's uh, boofed it. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean... I had actually a few correspondences with the great Scum Valley icon recently and uh, we were bantering uh, or back and forthing, trying to concoct a scheme to uh, elevate Julian Assange's uh, plight to the world. Shane, has, uh, he's replicated his great free Mandela decal uh, in the form of a free Assange decal on those iconic mm. crafts of his. And I'll be sharing that on our Instagram and we invite all the swellings out there to... 
back our countrymen, back one of the world's great truth tellers, truth seekers, the great anti-war activist, uh, and uh, you know, part-time Northern Rivers, uh, yeah, resident. You know, he was lived in Lismore or around there for a bit. His mum, Christine, still lives up here, so he's one of our own. And he's been mistreated by the CIA war pig fucktards over there in the states and uh, mm. UK. This this uh, unholy conglomerate of piss-taking, coked-up, warmongering degenerates. Fuck them all. Uh, and so, yeah, I reckon everyone get out there, get your Poskas out, free Assange on every available piece of white uh, surfboard and fucking whatever else. I mean, I'm not encouraging you to go and vandalize yeah. uh, overpasses yeah. and, and whatnot, but I'm not, not encouraging it. Yeah, yeah, and, and just, uh, you know, to add a bit of salt to the whole experience, mate, his childhood home got absolutely uh, just devastated by the floods too. So, uh, mate, fucking cut the guy some slack, please. Get in behind, Swillians. That's it, Smithy. We're going to uh, we're going to revisit. Uh, we did get a lot of questions, so uh, to all the Swillians who wrote in, we're actually going to do an ask us a question special in the coming days. So stay tuned for that one. But Smithy, good luck getting your onion fixed, mate. I wish you all the best for this purple orb blob spectacular. Let's hope it doesn't fizzle, mate. Let's hope it fuels us up. That's right, Fawn. A safe travels and a safe coning to you as well, my friend. Yeah.